Good morning, this is 5 at 8. Today's Sunday, October 8th, 2023. And here is the day's top news. Your hosts are Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we'll talk about a surprise attack by Hamas on Israel, new evidence of early humans in the Americas, Nobel Prizes awarded for scientific breakthroughs, Russian missile strikes in Ukraine, and the challenges faced by the global wine industry due to climate change. Story number one. Hamas, as reported by Al Jazeera, launched a surprise attack on Israel during the Jewish holiday of Simchat Torah. The attack involved gunmen breaching security barriers and a barrage of rockets fired from Gaza. Hamas claimed to have launched 5,000 rockets in the initial barrage, while Israel's military reported 2,500 rockets fired. The rocket attack served as cover for Palestinian fighters to infiltrate Israel through breaches in security barriers. Israeli military installations were targeted, and several Israeli military vehicles were captured. The fighting continued throughout the day, resulting in casualties on both sides. Gunmen reportedly seized hostages in the town of Ofakim, and Palestinian groups claimed to be holding Israeli soldiers captive. The fighting continued into the evening, with Israeli troops working to clear communities overrun by Hamas fighters. What a turn of events, Linda. This surprise attack by Hamas during the Jewish holiday of Simchat Torah is reminiscent of the Yom Kippur War. It seems like the element of surprise, timing, and exploiting religious occasions are strategic tactics employed in these conflicts. Can you share more insights into this? Yes, Mark. It indeed mirrors the tactics used during the Yom Kippur War. The use of surprise is a time-honored military strategy. It can disrupt enemy plans, create confusion, and potentially lead to quick victories. The timing of this attack during a Jewish holiday, likely aimed at catching Israeli forces off guard, as their attention might be less focused on security matters. I see. And how about the infiltration techniques used by Hamas? This seems like a well-coordinated and multifaceted assault. What does this tell us about their capabilities and planning? The multi-pronged infiltration involving breaches and security barriers, powered parachutes, and motorboats clearly indicates a high level of planning and execution. It shows that Hamas has evolved in their strategic capabilities, making them a more formidable force than they were previously perceived to be. That's a scary thought, Linda. And these surprise attacks, they're not just military tactics, are they? I mean, there's a significant impact on civilian populations and human rights too, right? The human toll of these surprise attacks is immense. The unpredictability and the ensuing chaos can lead to significant civilian casualties. And from a human rights perspective, it's concerning when military operations are carried out in densely populated areas, increasing the risk to non-combatants. In this case, the reports of house-to-house killing and hostage-taking are extremely worrying. It's a grim situation. But history has seen many such surprise attacks, haven't they? Can we draw parallels to other such instances? Yes, Mark. History is replete with examples of surprise attacks, from Pearl Harbor during World War II to the Tet Offensive during the Vietnam War. These attacks have often served as important turning points in conflicts, leading to shifts in political and territorial control. But they also underscore the brutal and unpredictable nature of war, particularly for civilians caught in the crossfire. Story number two. New research confirms that fossilized human footprints found in New Mexico's White Sands National Park date back between 21,000 and 23,000 years, providing evidence of early humans living in the Americas, as reported by CNN International. 
The footprints represent a crucial missing chapter in human history and challenge previous theories about when and how prehistoric people arrived in the Americas. In other news, Nobel Prizes were awarded to scientists for advances in chemistry, physics, and medicine, including breakthroughs in LED lights, electron measurement, and mRNA vaccine development. Astronomers using the James Webb Space Telescope discovered pairs of planet-like objects in the Orion Nebula, which defy current astronomical theories. NASA is preparing to launch its first mission to explore the metal asteroid Psyche, while China plans to return the first samples from the far side of the moon. Redonda, a Caribbean island, has rebounded after invasive species nearly destroyed its ecosystem. Other news includes the birth of a Sumatran rhino, an abundance of material collected from the asteroid Bennu, finalists for the Comedy Wildlife Photography Awards, and an upcoming annular solar eclipse. What a time to be alive, huh? I mean, finding human footprints dating back to 21,000, 23,000 years in New Mexico's White Sands National Park, that's some Indiana Jones-level stuff. It truly is fascinating, Mark. But it's not just about the thrill of the discovery. These footprints represent a crucial missing chapter in human history. It's an intimate reminder of a specific moment and a time capsule of the paths taken by those who came before us. Oh, absolutely, Linda. But you gotta admit, there's something wildly exciting about these discoveries. It's like we're unraveling the mysteries of our past one footprint at a time. And hey, talk about leaving a mark. Those footprints have survived for thousands of years. Yes, Mark. It's truly awe-inspiring. However, it's also a reminder of our responsibility. As we've learned from the story of Redonda Island, our actions can have long-lasting impacts on the environment. We should strive to leave a positive legacy. But on a lighter note, how about those pairs of planet-like objects, the Jumbos, found in the Orion Nebula? Our universe never fails to surprise us, does it? Indeed, it's a humbling reminder of how much we still have to learn about our universe. These Jumbos defy some of our fundamental astronomical theories and challenge our understanding of planet and star formation. We're on a constant journey of discovery, aren't we? Story number three. In a report from Al Jazeera with the upcoming parliamentary elections in Poland, the ruling Law and Justice Party has been accused of using its control of the public broadcaster to silence opposition voices and promote its anti-European Union and anti-migrant agenda. In Delhi, police raided the offices of news website NewsClick and detained journalists over allegations of spreading Chinese propaganda, highlighting the tense Sino-Indian relations. Additionally, an investigation reveals the looting of Ukraine's art by Russia during the ongoing conflict, posing a threat to Ukraine's heritage and history. What a blatant misuse of power by the Polish Law and Justice Party just a week before the elections, using a public broadcaster as their private megaphone to spew anti-EU and anti-migrant rhetoric. That's, uh, that's not how democracy works, right? Well, Mark, it is indeed concerning. But we need to consider the broader context. Many would argue that media outlets, even public ones, have always been used to propagate certain narratives. It's not right, but it's not a new phenomenon. The real challenge here is how we address these systemic issues. Sure, Linda, there's always been bias in the media, but this is state-controlled propaganda we're talking about. It's a, you know, it's a blatant violation of freedom of speech. They're drowning out opposition voices here. Yes, Mark. The situation is deeply concerning, but we must remember that each society has its own unique dynamics. As we discuss the Polish elections, 
We cannot ignore the historical and socio-political factors that might have led to this. And speaking of silencing voices, how about the recent Delhi police raid on NewsClick offices? They were accused of spreading Chinese propaganda, but isn't that another example of controlling narratives and stifling dissent? The Delhi raid is another disturbing case. But let's not forget about the cultural war Russia is waging on Ukraine. They're looting Ukraine's art, targeting the country's heritage and history. It's a whole different level of psychological warfare. The situation in Ukraine is distressing. But it also underscores the importance of preserving and respecting cultural heritage. The destruction or theft of cultural assets is a form of violence that has long-term psychological impacts. It's a reminder that conflicts are not just about territory, but also about identity and cultural memory. Story number four. Russian forces carried out missile strikes on the southern region of Odessa in Ukraine, damaging port infrastructure and injuring four people, as reported by The New York Times. This is part of Russia's ongoing efforts to strangle the Ukrainian economy by targeting the country's ports and grain facilities. Ukraine, one of the world's largest grain exporters, has suffered from decreased exports due to Russia's blockade of the Black Sea. However, Ukraine has found alternative routes to protect its income. The recent missile strikes caused damage to buildings and a fire in a garage. Ukraine has established an alternative corridor for exports, which has seen some success. But Russian forces continue to target the ports. Have you ever thought about how military strategies, like the ones we're seeing in Ukraine right now, can really shake up global trade and economies? I mean, it's not just about the immediate and visible destruction, it's the ripple effects that can cause a real tidal wave in the global market. The situation in Ukraine is a prime example. Their ports being attacked and infrastructure being damaged, it's not just a local issue. Ukraine is one of the world's largest grain exporters. So, the blockade and continuous attacks on their ports have a direct impact on global food security. Yeah, exactly. I mean, let's think back to World War II. The naval blockades there were crippling. They cut off access to resources, disrupted supply chains, and led to shortages. It's a strategy that hits where it hurts. But it's not just about the country being targeted, it's the whole world feeling the pinch. Yes. And what worries me is that, the longer this goes on, the more entrenched these changes to global trade routes and partnerships might become. Look at the blockade on Qatar by Saudi Arabia and its allies a few years ago. It forced Qatar to develop new trade relationships and routes that have persisted even after the blockade was lifted. Well, that's a good point, Linda. But, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, look at the resilience of the Ukrainians. They've managed to establish an alternative corridor for their ships, hugging the western coast of the Black Sea, within the territorial waters of NATO, members like Romania, Bulgaria, and Turkey. Yes, that's true, Mark, but it's a risky strategy. Any ship approaching a Ukrainian port is considered a potential military threat by Russia. While the corridor has been successful so far, it's a precarious balance. The global economy is now teetering on the brink of a larger crisis, and it's a reminder of how interconnected we all are. Agreed, Linda. It's a tense situation and one that requires careful navigation, both literally and figuratively. But it's also a testament to the determination of nations to keep trade flowing, even in the face of adversity. And that's something we should all be mindful of. Story number five. According to the New York Times, the global wine industry is being forced to adapt to the effects of climate change. Rising temperatures and extreme weather are altering the tastes and characteristics of wines. 
posing challenges for vineyards worldwide. In Europe, where five of the top ten wine-producing countries are located, the impact of climate change on wine growers has been significant. The changing weather patterns are resulting in smaller grapes and sweeter wines with higher alcohol content, which does not align with consumer preferences for lighter, fresher wines. Moreover, the dwindling water supplies are threatening the existence of some vineyards. In response to these shifts, some vineyards are adopting regenerative and organic cultivation and processing methods to adapt to the changing climate. Expanding the variety of plants and animals in vineyards has been found to reduce the impact of climate change on crops. However, there is a lag between what winemakers are experiencing and the actions taken by authorities to address the challenges posed by climate change, as reported by the New York Times. Might I just say, Linda, that this article does a fantastic job of illustrating how climate change isn't just a future concern. It's here and now, and it's affecting industries we don't normally consider. The wine industry, for instance, is centuries old, steeped in tradition, and now it's having to adapt at a speed that's quite startling. I couldn't agree more, Mark. It's a wake-up call, and not just for the wine industry. Imagine centuries-old grape varieties, the taste of which connoisseurs have come to know and expect, are being altered by unpredictable weather. It's like you can quite literally taste climate change. Absolutely, and it's not just about taste, it's about survival. Look at how some vineyards are grappling with dwindling water supplies. It's a clear sign that these shifting weather patterns are affecting the very existence of these businesses. True, and it's interesting how they're trying to respond to these shifts. For instance, the article talks about the use of emergency irrigation to save young vines from dying during extreme heat. But then, this might have long-term implications, right? The roots may not go deep enough to tap into the subterranean water tables they need to survive. Right, Linda. It's like a catch-22 situation, isn't it? But hey, it's not all doom and gloom. The article also mentions some innovative approaches, like the one at Chen Bleu, the family winery that's working on regenerative and organic adaptations for cultivation and processing. It's a fascinating approach that embraces biodiversity as a way to combat climate change. Indeed, I find that particularly inspiring, Mark. They're taking a holistic approach, looking at how they can minimize their impact on the environment while also building resilience into their operations. And this isn't just about the wine industry, it's about agriculture as a whole. It's about how we, as a society, respond to the challenges of climate change. It's about adaptation, and it's about time we realize that. These examples of innovation within the wine industry might just be the tip of the iceberg. As the effects of climate change intensify, I reckon we'll see many more sectors being forced to rethink their practices and innovate like never before. And it's a reminder that we need flexible regulations that can adapt to these changes and support these industries as they navigate the impacts of climate change. It's not an easy balance, but it's a necessary one. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.